uh, we train our children to eat vegetables. And certainly it was the way for me as a child. I remember my parents saying, you know, eat your veg and eat your meat. And that was the priority. And I hated veg. If I didn't smother it with gravy or ketchup or something, I didn't want it. And I remember baked beans particularly being the staple of the British diet, you know, the Heinz baked beans. Um, I was always really ill after those. And, you know, my mum would say, but they're full of protein and they're really good for you. You must eat your beans. And I was always sick. And I hated cauliflower and broccoli and all of those things. But we are trained from a very young age. And it really resonated for me when you were saying about that and you were saying that, you know, we we children instinctively know what they want and you give them veg and they don't want it. And we train them to want it. But what they do want is fruit. And that was the bit. It really kind of every part of me went, oh, that's so right. That is so true. I really enjoyed fruit as a child, but I did not enjoy veg. Hi guys and welcome to another episode of the Meek Medic podcast. Now today I'm joined by my special guest uh, Julie Paul who's joining us all the way from the UK and it's very good morning to you Julie. It's a evening over here in Brisbane but yeah, it's nice to talk to you today. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Good morning or good evening to you. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Uh, now, Julie, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, you have got your own, like pretty much everybody else who's come on my show, uh, you've got your own health journey that you wanted to talk about, how you got started in the kind of low-carb keto, you know, carnivore space. Um, but also you are a, uh, you're an author. Uh, yes. You are a, I think, qualified hypnotist. You're a massage healer. You work also as a psychic, tarot card reader. I mean, you're doing a lot of stuff. You've yeah. got your own media presence, your own YouTube channel with over 100,000 subscribers. So uh, yeah, I'd love to want to pick your brain about some of these things today. And uh, if you can maybe start with, yeah, your background and your, your health journey, that would be great. Thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, I had a, a career in the corporate world, the business world for about 20 years. Um, and then when I was sort of getting into my late 30s, I decided I was done with that whole life. And I um, left that whole environment and retrained as a hypnotherapist and um, allowed my spiritual intuitive side that had always been there. I'd been studying the esoteric and everything to do with uh, the spiritual side of life since I was a very young child. It was very much part of who I was. So I decided I'm going to allow this to go forward. And that's what I've been doing ever since. So my mission, my purpose is to help inform, inspire, motivate, uplift people, educate people, um, not just spiritually. This isn't just about the the woo-woo, airy-fairy kind of angelic realm, which I'm very much into and a lot, most of my followers are into too. But also as a hypnotherapist, um, I'm very much about the mind, the belief system, the subconscious and how it influences our behaviours uh, and the blocks and barriers within that and helping people. That's what I've been doing for the last 20 years to be able to 
release those blocks and to move themselves forward into a life that they want to create. Um, I went to uni 10 years after that. At 50, I went to uni and did a degree in psychology and sociology, not to become, and I'm not a psychologist, but to add more information and understanding of the way that mental health works, the mind works. Um, And as a hypnotherapist at that time for 13 years, I already had been working a long time with this, but I wanted to know more. So that's what I've been doing. Um, I specialised for more than 10 years with PTSD, trauma, um, severe um, stuff, particularly around childhood abuse, sexual abuse. um, And that's what I did for a long time. And then um, in 2020, I started moving more away from that um, and more towards um, training, uplifting, developing people from where they are. So that's been my kind of journey in terms of my career. And along the lines, um, I've written six books. Um, and my latest book came out in January called From Hoping to Having. Um, and it's the three R's to create your best life. Remember, reset, receive. And that reset bit in the middle is the hypnotherapist part of me helping you to reset your thinking and your beliefs. And I brought out an affirmation book alongside that to those affirmations to strengthen the the changing in the thinking. Um, So I've been absolutely amazed. The book's only been out for eight and a half weeks and it's sold over a thousand copies and the reviews are coming in, in, you know, amazing reviews, which thrills me because, you know, what people are saying, this is a game changer. It is helping me to change my thinking, my perspective, my boundaries, everything. And within that, I think of the 24 chapters, the longest one was on health. I really wanted to push the we need to take responsibility for our own health and stop relying on a doctor to give you a pill and looking underneath, why have I got this? What is going on? What do I need to do to change it? Um, So my own journey with that, I was reasonably healthy um, and reasonably happy weight for most of my adult life. I'd always suffered with digestive problems and IBS and constipation and discomfort around that. Um, But I had been given fibre, which always made me worse. Um, And uh, I'd been given a prescription for indigestion for 10, 15 years. And I just lived with it and I just got on with my little world until we got to about 2016. And that is when I went through the menopause, my period stopped and everything went downhill very rapidly over the next four years. And I mean, as a healer, a therapist, uh, I mean, an intuitive, uh, I kept saying to my body, you know, what's what's wrong? What's going on? What do I need to do to help you? And I just couldn't find any answers. I know, for example, and I, I dropped... Um, gluten back in 2012 and that made a huge difference Um, so I know that I'm gluten intolerant um, but even with that it wasn't enough to sort things out so I'd always been around about 10 10 and a half stone which is um, 140 147 pounds Um, I think that's about 65 kilos um I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, And five for eight. So that's a reasonably healthy uh, weight. And everything was good until the menopause kicked in. And then for the next four years, every year, I put on 10 pounds. 
And I so it just got heavier and heavier and heavier. And I ended up by the beginning of 2020, um, about 196 pounds, nearly 200 pounds. So that's the obesity range. And this was just getting worse and worse. And the host of symptoms was just ridiculous. None of them serious, but I had a huge amount of inflammation. I thought that I was sort of going into arthritis. My knees hurt, my hips hurt, my joints, my fingers. Um, there were so many things. I had constant problems with thrush um, and to the point where the doctor couldn't fix it and referred me to the hospital. So then they were trying to fix it. And um, I had skin issues, um, hair and nail issues. Um, but it was the weakness in the legs. I remember saying to my GP, I can't get off the loo without pushing myself up by my hands. My legs have not got enough energy in them, strength in them, you know, and I'm, I eat a reasonably healthy diet. And I've never been one really for junk food. I mean, I have the odd Chinese, the odd takeaway, the odd this, that and the other. But on the whole, I'm somebody that eats um, natural food, you know, so meat and fish and veg and salad. Um, and I was not eating a huge amount of carbs. But there was a massive shift around that time. And all of a sudden, I started getting sugar cravings. And I never had them before. I'm more of a savoury person, give me a packet of crisps, chips, and I'm, I, I would have that rather than have a big bowl of ice cream or something. But all of a sudden, I wanted this. And I thought, what is going on? I've never had a sweet tooth. This must be something to do with the hormones. Um, and the, at the same time as the weight was going up, the energy was going down. So I was blaming the weight because obviously the heavier we are, the way I described it to myself was, you know, I'm carrying 40 pounds of excess weight. Imagine how many shopping bags of food that would be that you'd be carrying around and no wonder you get tired. So I blamed the weight. Um, and I still think that that's got a part you know, that's a play in it, certainly. But it was more than that. Um, so eventually, come to April, May 2020, I discovered a video on YouTube all about keto, which I'd never heard of. So I was watching this chap cooking several keto recipes and I was absolutely shocked because there he was smothering this steak in butter and cream and um, added in some some garlic and some mushrooms put it with some veg and went there you go that'll make you healthy and I literally was sat there my head couldn't compute because we've been so trained not to eat fat and not to have you know fatty meat and all oh, red meat's terrible for you. And actually, my favourite food is steak. I am definitely a red meat eater. I don't even particularly like fish. I make myself eat it now and again, because I know it's good for me with the Omega 3s and all the rest of it. But um, I'm a steak girl, give me a steak anytime and I'm a happy girl. Uh, so I was watching this and my head just couldn't compute it. So I started going down the rabbit hole of watching more and more of these videos. And I discovered Dr. Eric Berg and his Keto 101. And I binge watched these understanding about this. And because I tried everything else and nothing else was working, I thought, well, you have absolutely nothing to lose. Give it a go. You know, if you find that you get fatter and heavier and even worse, then you can stop it. But give it a go. So that's what I decided to do. I did my research about keto flu. I got my electrolytes. 
And off I went. And for the next four weeks, I went full blown keto. And on many, many levels, many of my symptoms improved almost immediately. The first shift was two days in where all those sugar cravings just went. And that was like, whoa, you know, all all of a sudden it's like have my dinner and I didn't want anything else. I didn't need that sugar rush. Um, That was amazing. And then um, within a few days, lots of other symptoms started to improve as well. So over the next four weeks, fabulous. I dropped about 14 pounds in a month. Um, and half of that was probably the inflammation, the water weight. I had no idea I even had inflammation. Um, many of my symptoms went. And the first thing that went was the constant thrush, uh, which was a game changer. The skin started to clear up. The plaque on my teeth started to go. Lots of things started to improve. But what got worse was my stomach, my digestion became much, much worse. Because Eric Berg, and I've got a lot of respect to Eric Berg, but he is big on 10 cups of vegetables a day. And I was following that. So I've always eaten veg and salad anyway. But I had probably times that by four, I was eating a lot more. And I was getting worse and worse, my stomach, you know, and to me, and, and you know, you're the doctor, I'm not. But to me, I've got three parts to my stomach, you know, the actual stomach, the small intestine and the large intestine, top, middle and bottom. And all three of them were in pain all of the time. So whilst that the many of my symptoms were improving. Hunger satiation, I wasn't hungry anymore. That was fantastic. The IBS had gone. Um, the fatigue was certainly getting better, but um, my stomach was much, much worse. So I started going down the rabbit hole again, and I did some research about keto and indigestion and discovered Dr. Ken Berry, who I'd never seen before. And he is a proper MD. And he was talking about carnivore. And I thought, and my first thought was, what? Uh, obviously, I know what it is. It, you know, I am a carnivore. I eat meat. But I eat veg and salad as plants as well. And he was saying, drop the plants. Just eat the meat and animal products, not just meat, but fish, eggs, dairy is fine. Um And I thought, okay, I watched a lot of his videos. I also watched videos by Dr. Um, Sten Egberg, who's a um, sort of naturopathic type doctor. And he had a video up there about um, hypothyroidism. And he listed all of these symptoms. I think there were 11. And I sat there ticking off every single one. And yet my GP had run bloods and said all of my bloods were in normal ranges. So I decided I'm self-diagnosing here and I'm I'm convinced I've got a a low thyroid. So I'm going to do what they're saying. And Dr. Ken Berry was saying that the fastest way to heal your body and heal your gut is carnivore. And you might treat it as an elimination diet or you might stay on it for life. And many people are on it for life. So I thought I'm going to give it a go. So that week I dropped all of the plants. My intention was to do a reset of my body for 30 days. That was the intention. Can I go 30 days just eating meat? And over those 30 days, well, within the first week, the indigestion improved by at least 50%. And in the second week, it had gone. All of my pain, top, middle and bottom of my digestive tract had gone. And so at the end of the 30 days, I was feeling amazing. So I thought, 
I'm just going to keep going with it until my body says stop. I listen to my body intuitively. And it was about six and a half weeks in that my body said, I would like some vegetables, please. And um, I added some in. And then I was able to test within a few hours, my stomach started playing up again. Um, right, it doesn't like that. Let's try this. And it did like that, but it didn't like this. So over the next sort of two or three weeks, after being full carnivore for six weeks, I trialed and, and tested different foods like an elimination diet and discovered that the majority of the vegetables I eat, my body doesn't like. It doesn't like the veg. It seems to be okay on small amounts of salad, but it as as like um, lettuce and um, some of the basic small amounts of salad, but very few vegetables does my stomach like. It seemed to be okay with asparagus, but any of the cruciferous vegetables, the broccoli, the cauliflower, any kind of cabbage, oh, oh no, 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 no. My, my, and garlic and onions, absolute agony. I can't digest them. So it doesn't matter what people say, oh, these are really good for you. If you can't digest them, then don't eat them. But this is where the head gets the thoughts, the belief systems get in the way because, you know, I'm nearly 60 years old and 60 in six months. I spent my whole life being trained, eat your veg, eat your veg. You know, you must eat your veg. I was watching your podcast from last week, episode 23. I really enjoyed that episode. It was wonderful. But there was one particular statement that you said that really resonated for me. And that's the way that as parents, uh, we train our children to eat vegetables. And certainly it was the way for me as a child. I remember my parents saying, you know, eat your veg and eat your meat. And that was the priority. And I hated veg. If I didn't smother it with gravy or ketchup or something, I didn't want it. And I remember baked beans, particularly being the staple of the British diet, you know, the Heinz baked beans. Um, (laughs) I was always really ill after those. And, you know, my mum would say, but they're full of protein, and they're really good for you, you must eat your beans. And I was always sick. And I hated cauliflower and broccoli and all of those things. But we are trained from a very young age. And it really resonated for me when you were saying about that and you were saying that, you know, we we children instinctively know what they want and you give them veg and they don't want it. And we train them to want it. But what they do want is fruit. And that was the bit it really kind of every part of me went, oh, that's so right. That is so true. I really enjoyed fruit as a child, but I did not enjoy veg. So it was a real takeaway for me for that, that after I'd gone carnivore and I tried to start bringing back in vegetables, most of them made me sick. So I do continue to eat some vegetables, but in very small quantities and only the ones that my body says okay. But the reason the or episode 23 touched me like that, it resonated for me, was that keto says no fruit. And you mustn't have fruit other than the odd bit of berries. You can have some berries. So I've not had fruit basically for three years nearly now. And when I was watching that episode 23, my body said, I would really like some fruit. Can I have some fruit, please? And I thought, oh, how interesting. Okay, so maybe instead of doing predominantly carnivore with the odd bit of veg that I do carnivore with the odd bit of fruit. And that's something that I'm going to trial going forward now, because since September 2020, 
I've continued this way of eating, but I tend to go four or five days with pure carnivore. I just eat animal products and I'm feeling great. And then I'll add in a little bit of salad and the odd veg. And then my body after a couple of days says, I don't want that now. I just want the meat, please. Thank you very much. So I just listen to my body intuitively. So it felt right when I watched that podcast to say, instead of just adding in a bit of veg, drop the veg, add in a bit of fruit. Um, so that's the way I'm going to move forward. Um, but for, for me now that all the thyroid symptoms have gone from using, predominantly I would say that I'm 80% carnivore and 20% ketovore. Um, so, you know, the odd bit of, of fruit, uh, well, not fruit, the veg salad. But I definitely feel better when I'm just carnivore and the energy is better. And the the way that my symptoms, the final bits, I think I had about 23 different symptoms and, you know, half of them had gone on keto and the other half went on carnivore. Um, and there's a few things that really stand out to me is um, three months into this, um, all the skin tags that I had, and I had quite a few, I had about 10 or 12 skin tags on my neck, on the side of my neck, lots on the back of my neck, uh, rashes on my skin. They all went, the... the um, the skin tags actually fell off. There was little bits of blood on my pillow in the morning. I'd wake up and they, they, I didn't see the skin tags, but I thought, why is there blood on my pillow? And I've had lots of ear infections in the past. And I thought, have I got an ear infection again where I'm, I'm bleeding onto the pillow? My ears were fine and I felt my neck and the skin tags had gone. Um, and I think I had about 10 and there was two or three falling off every night over about a week. And they just completely went. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, and I did some research then to say about skin tags. There was nothing linked to keto about skin tags. But when I did some research on the carnivore, there were many, many people in the carnivore community saying that the skin tags had gone. So in my belief, it's my belief now that skin tags are caused by carbs and you take the carbs away that they will come off i don't know if they would have come off long term if i just stayed keto or whether it was carnivore that was the final push but it certainly made a difference yes yeah i mean that's interesting because uh, we actually we know there's good evidence that skin tags really are are predominantly caused by um, or contributed to at least by insulin resistance um, so carbs can definitely be a big, big factor there. We know, um, and we see this a lot with the medical profession, you know, the end stage insulin resistance is type two diabetes. And then we tell people, well, skin tags can be from diabetes, but then we don't tell people, well, actually what comes before diabetes can also cause you the same problems, maybe just to a lesser extent. And we see this, I saw this with a patient earlier today, HbA1c of 5.9, they're getting carpal tunnel type symptoms, but they haven't got carpal tunnel syndrome, mm. but they've got those symptoms and it's because of the nerve damage starting with the insulin resistance and the borderline, you know, almost borderline diabetes. If they were in America, yeah. they would have pre-diabetes. Yeah. But we tell people it can happen with diabetes. We don't tell people it can happen before then. But yeah, interestingly with keto, I've never heard anyone saying that their skin tags fell off, but with carnivore, yeah. yes, this is yeah. a common thing that people report, skin tags suddenly just falling off them. Yeah. Which is amazing. You know, in medicine, we tell people well, these things can't happen. You know, skin tags, you must remove them surgically or with cryo or yeah. something or just leave them. But yeah. Uh, yeah, and just falling off is just is just incredible. I remember um, by the time I was 40, I had lots of skin tags around the age of 40. And at the time in the UK, uh, that was around about 2022, something like that. My GP removed them in the surgery. Um 
and they were uh, cauterized off. And um, there was, again, about eight, eight or nine then when I was 40. But they came back over the next five to 10 years. But when I went carnivore, they went. Just fell off. Yeah, it's amazing, yeah, isn't they it? They just fell off. So- yeah, I mean, that was a, a very long introduction, but a very good introduction. Thank you for your your health journey. No, no, it's quite, quite okay. Um, a lot to unpack there, a lot of things I want to I talk about. Um, but yeah, you mentioned, of course, my, what I mentioned in, in the episode with James, uh, who was a vegan turned carnivore now. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's telling with our kids where, you know, you you have to force them to eat vegetables and, and no child really, I mean, maybe 1% of children perhaps want to eat vegetables and yet the assumption is just well you're just naughty Mm. you know just do what do what's good for you rather than saying well why don't they want to eat the vegetables but why are they happy to chew on you give that kid a ribeye (laughs) they'll just chew on it all day long you know you give them fruit they, they go to town on it but you give them you know those chemical pouches you know they're in the from the shops you give them the veg etc it'll hit the other side of the wall it will hit the other side of the room on the wall. Um, you know, what animal in the wild, you know, has to be forced to eat the things it's meant to eat? You know, you don't see deers, you know, kind of telling baby deers, forcing them to go and eat, eat, eat the leaves. You don't see cows forcing their calves to go and eat the grass. No, they just know to eat it because it tastes right. Vegetables don't taste right for kids, so they don't want to eat it. Maybe they're just more in tune. Yeah. with what they should be eating they haven't been kind of convinced that what tastes bad is actually good so they're just going on pure intuition maybe we should be listening to our kids more absolutely <laughs> i mean it's the, the the way that we're programmed not just on what to eat but things like clear your plate you know as a hypnotherapist when I, I had a lot of people coming to me for weight loss and they were everybody had the same sort of two or three basic beliefs that this is the stuff you should eat this is the stuff you shouldn't eat and don't waste food and you must clear your plate and it's very very rude to leave food on your plate and we teach our children this if you go to a friend's house for tea don't be fussy eater, eat everything on your plate and say thank you nicely. And I would be helping people to unlearn that and say, when your stomach says I've had enough, stop. And I would use the example of, I want you to imagine a toddler in a high chair at say nine months to one and a half years. They're sitting in a high chair, mum or dad is going to feed them. And when you're a baby, mum or dad is God. You know, they are your protectors. You you would die without them. So you heavily influenced by keep them happy. And they bring the spoon towards you, doing the aeroplane noise, you know, just one more spoon, just one more bit. And the baby is turning its head away. It's pushing it it's pushing the spoon away it's turning the head away and mum and dad are saying just one more finish what's in the bowl finish what's on the plate and so I'm teaching people to say when your stomach says stop listen to it and put the food away if it's something that can keep put it in the fridge for for later or tomorrow if it's not be all right with throwing it in the bin be allowed to throw it in the bin and I think in the in the in Europe it's very much stronger than perhaps than in other countries. This finish everything on your plate. My parents were born um, and they lived as children in the war, and then after the war there was ten years of rationing. 
So this was very ingrained in them that food is a precious limited commodity and you must value it and you mustn't waste it. So for my parents' generations who are in their 80s now, they wouldn't it, it kills them with guilt to leave anything on their plate. And it's the way that they trained me and my generation in our 50s and 60s. We've had this as well. So I've been helping people to unlearn that behavior. And when you go carnivore or keto or keto for, you learn that your stomach says, when I'm hungry, when I'm full. And those triggers are actually reset back to normal of you know I might go um, 24 hours I did a lot of OMAD one meal a day when I was doing this but then maybe two or three days later my my body says I want two meals today and I okay today we have two and I stopped calling it sort of breakfast lunch and dinner and I would just say meal one meal two I haven't had breakfast for a long time. I never liked breakfast anyway before I was keto. I would like to eat about 10 in the morning. Um, but after I went keto and carnivore, I was regularly eating two or three in the afternoon. That was my first meal of the day. And often that would be all I'd want all day. And then the next day I might have two meals, one at two or maybe one at six. But I try not to eat after seven because my digestion does not want a full belly when I go to bed around half 10, 11 o'clock. And I definitely sleep better when my stomach is not trying to process foods that it doesn't want. But if I eat just carnivore, I have got a problem. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting there. Um, I want to, uh, yeah, I mean, intuitive eating is incredibly important. And uh, it is something that we teach our kids not to do. You know, we teach our kids out of intuitive eating and from a very early age, exactly as you said, um, which is, you know, really it's kind of, you know, we go back to things like breastfeeding and I know not everybody breastfeeds, not everybody can breastfeed. I know uh, nobody should feel guilty if they're not breastfeeding, but, you know, breastfeeding is a very on-demand thing. And, uh, you know, when the babies are done, they, they come off and that's fine. Nobody tries to force it on them anymore. But then when, they, when they're weaning, then onto solids and so forth, it's no, you must finish the whole thing. I made this. I spent a lot of time and, you know, and so on. And it just teaches them to just overeat, you know, and we're not listening to yeah. those cues. As you said, the, the babies are turning their heads saying, no, thank you. I don't want it. Yeah. And yet we're just forcing it on them. And it just really can, can create disordered eating. And that can be very hard to undo. Absolutely. And, I don't know if it is a British thing. I mean, I'm British and my parents, exactly the same thing. You know, you must finish your plate. You must eat the whole thing. You cannot have more of anything until you finish everything. Yes. Uh, you know, no dessert until you finish everything and, and so on. Uh, regardless of how much I've cooked, you have to finish the whole thing because we can't possibly waste anything. Uh, I'm sure it's the same in other places, but Britain, maybe it is worse. You know, and it is a, it is a post-war you know, thing with rationing and, and you can understand the rationale there. Yeah. Um, food waste is a big problem, of course, but over time people will learn to cook less. They'll know how much they want to eat and, you know, yes. and so on. But also one of the benefits with carnivore is 99% of the food you can just put back in the fridge. Yes. Yeah, and eat, and eat later. I do that with like my ribeyes. I just put them back in the fridge if I'm not hungry and I'll just eat on them, you know, cold later. And they actually cold ribeyes are pretty nice anyway. So um, <laughs> I want to go back a little bit if I can, Julie, because obviously you've had your own health journey and I want to do want to come back to that a little bit later. But you actually made the, the journey, the switch from, you know, kind of business and, and corporate world into, as you said, the more spiritual, more, more holistic side of things. 
but that sounded like that was before your health journey. What made you kind of go down that route then? Well, I think many people are living a life they don't particularly want to live. And we just get caught up in in the corporate hamster wheel or, you know, the, the situation that we're in. And we don't consider, am I happy? Does this work for me? Does it fit me? Am I a round peg in a square hole? And many, many people are living that life. And I was one of them. You know, I moved into my career was in homelessness and um, advice and support with vulnerable um, groups of people. And I'd gone to college and I'd done four years in college to get my qualifications in that. And I'd sort of built that. But I became more and more stressed and tired and exhausted and unhappy. Um, And I got to the point where many of us have this trigger point, uh, what you might call either a breakdown moment. I call it a breakthrough moment. For me, um, my youngest child, I have three children, they're all adults now, but my youngest child at the time was two. And I'd go to work at seven in the morning and drop her off at nursery. And I'd finish work somewhere between five and six and then go and pick her up. And she would go to bed seven, seven thirty. So I'd be lucky to have 40 minutes with her. And in that 40 minutes, it was sort of rushed to get as much quality in that time as you can. And because I was divorced from her dad, we then had the weekends where we shared her. So he'd have a one weekend, I'd have her the other weekend. So the time that I had with my child was ridiculously low. It was less than three hours in the week and every other weekend. So consequently, she didn't really know me. And my teenage boys, um, because I'd had children 10 years before and 15 years before, they didn't really know me either. It all been about, you know, I'm a single mom and I've got to provide for my family and this is what I've got to do. And so one day I went to pick her up from the nursery. I was tired. I was stressed. I I always was, always exhausted, always trying to do everything. And um, (laughs) I arrived just in time. They shut at seven. I got there like three minutes to seven. And the the owner came to the door with my sort of two-year-old child attached to her hip. And I reached out my arms to her. Come on, Charlotte, come to mummy. And she turned her head away, buried it in the woman's shoulder and said, nope. And I was just, oh, and for any parent, not just a mother, but fathers too, when your child prefers to stay with a child mind to the nursery nurse than to come to their own parent, my heart sank. Every part of me sank and I felt the tears well up and I was exhausted and tired. And here's my baby, my last child. And she was a gift. She was a surprise and she was my joy. And she doesn't want to come to me. Um, I literally had to pull her kicking and screaming into my own arms and carry her to the car with her shouting, no, 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 no. And I got home, we had the bath, we had story time, she went to bed. And then I sat in the chair and I meditated, which is what I do, I connect with my higher self, my internal self, I connect with the universe. And I say, show me what to do. Please show me what to do. And the answer that came through so strongly was, let it go. Let it all go. And I was like, you're kidding me, you know, and they, we will show you, we will guide you. There's another life for you, a life that is more aligned with you and who you are. Um, 
And it was so strong, I had to trust it. I'd been talking to spirits since I was seven years old. <laughs> um, it was very much a part of my life. It was a part of who I, I was. I'd been healing and teaching and telling people about this stuff since, you know, it was it was very much who I was. And what I was getting was, you know, you are meant to be, you know, a spiritual teacher. Let this corporate stuff go. Just trust so I went to work the next day and I quit without a job to go to. And that's hairy scary when you're a single parent. Um, it was hairy scary. But this is where, you know, and I'm not suggesting that other people do this. Um, but what I do encourage people to do is to follow their path. Yes, line up another job or another thing before you go. Obviously, I needed to restructure my finances. I went from a decent salary. I mean, I wasn't six figures, but back in 2020, it was it was good money I was on um, to say, well, what am I going to do now? So I restructured everything. Um, I, I gave up my home. I gave up. I was uh, had my own home um, and I sold that. And I went and rented a small house that was much cheaper um, in an area in, in Cornwall. I was living in Gloucester at the time in England and I moved to Cornwall. Um, and at the time it was much cheaper. It's not now, but it was then. Um, and um, I just decided that what price quality of life that I want my child to know me. I want to be a parent to my children. And what kind of example am I setting them when it's all about work, 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 work? And what? where's your happiness? Where's your balance? Where's, where's this and that? So that's when I moved to Cornwall. I retrained as a hypnotherapist. Um, I got myself a little part-time job, still in housing, but I had, when I left, I was a director and I went and just got a, a job as a, an officer. And they were saying to me, why, why do you want to do this officer part-time, 16 hours a week job with your experience? I'd built this career over 15, 17 years. And I said, because that's not what I want anymore. And I'm doing this while I'm training as a hypnotherapist. Um, there are many hypnotherapy so-called qualifications that are weekend courses, which crack me up. Mine was an 18-month uh, diploma and quite intensive and lots of work around addictions of the mind and the programming of the mind. And so whilst I was completing my training, I continued to work in housing, but part-time, 16 hours a week. Um, I take my daughter to school, nursery school at a reasonable time, um, like nine o'clock or on the seven o'clock and then I got to work for four hours pick her up bring her home have the afternoons with her bringing my life into balance so we have this belief that we can't change anything that we're trapped in this life that we've created I certainly had that belief uh, for more than 10 years and so as I moved through the next 20 years and the resulting most recent book from Hoping to Having is showing you how you can change your life. You're never trapped, but it does mean a reprioritizing and it does mean a giving yourself permission to put your own needs, wants and desires into the forefront. Um, I mean, I had programs within me, a belief system that was don't expect to be happy in your job. You know, there's the people who have a job and they're happy and, you know, the artists, the singers, you're going to be a starving artist. You're going to be a poverty written singer because to do anything you love will mean that you won't earn money from it. So that was certainly my belief. And so when I became a hypnotherapist and I also opened up um, spiritual classes, development classes, meditation courses, workshops, teachings, things like that, um, 
I had a belief along that, that I'm never going to get rich from this because I'm doing what I love. And you don't get rich doing what you love. And over the last few years, I've retrained myself since I discovered the law of attraction, which was quite new for me, you know, when the the secret came out. And But then I've been reading books on by Neville Goddard and various other, um, so not necessarily spiritual people, but um, business people saying you don't have to starve to do what you love. You absolutely don't. If you believe that you can earn well from doing what you love, you create that reality. So um, my latest book is helping people to see that. And actually, the introduction is my story about that nursery breakthrough moment. And actually, I've never been happier. I earn good money. Um, My world has been great. And, you know, I teach people teachers not necessarily facilitate open their eyes educate inform that there is another world another option Mm. yeah i mean that's a really good story and one that we we certainly do hear people just you know stuck in stuck in these jobs that they hate um you know really just you know wake up in the morning put the kids in the car drop them off at daycare go to work come back pick them up go to bed you know not really spending any time with their kids they don't enjoy it they're not happy but they can't see a way out. And, you know, a lot of what I do, you know, with my patients in day-to-day work, honestly, it's not even being a doctor. It's being a, being a life coach sometimes, you know, and it's just talking to people and just saying, look, it's okay to maybe just earn a bit less and it's okay to, you know, spend more time with your family. And sometimes you've just got to work out what's right for you, but put a plan in place don't just quit your job i mean that's very brave (laughs) Um, i usually recommend they have some sort of backup option but um, i do as well i do with my clients yeah find find something that of course makes you makes you happy and you know i think one thing that we see nowadays especially i mean certainly previously i mean i remember thinking the same thing you know you can't be you can't be rich and happy and you can't be you can't be happy and uh, you know and rich basically you know it's one or one or the other um but i think nowadays i mean it's very different and and youtube and and podcasting and so on is i think a good example of this and i actually talk to some of my patients about it and say hey look if you've got a passion you've got something you like doing get out there get on youtube like just make videos like it doesn't matter like if you make a fool of yourself no one's really watching anyway when you're starting out who cares and actually, you may just you may just make it, and you may just you know actually enjoy what you're doing. You get to talk to people like we're doing now, yeah. and it's just it's just good fun. And and then you can learn while you're doing it, and you know, and so on. So, I think nowadays, definitely everyone's got the option for just putting themselves out there, making a change. But it's hard for people. It's scary. It is scary, and it, what we find generally and this is sort of all through the kind of life coaching world, is that how uncomfortable has your life got to get for you to make the changes? And we have to, um, because we don't like change, we find it uncomfortable, we find it painful. So you're balancing up the pain of your current existence versus the pain of the change. And we find generally that people won't make those changes until the current life is absolute agony. They will do everything they can to avoid it. And then once that agony point is reached, then it starts to 
shift over to it's less painful to make the changes than it is to continue to live the life that you're living. And it's, you know, this is what I'm sort of trying to emphasize in my book. It doesn't have to be that painful. It truly doesn't. It's about your thinking and not just the thoughts, but your actions need to back up those thoughts. But we have so many different blocks, belief systems that stop us from doing that. And that's something that, you know, it's, I think, Back in, I think, probably 2021, I created a series of uh, products on my website called Unlock Your Block 2, dot, dot, dot. Unlock Your Block to a job or to love or to health or to wealth or whatever. Um, And I'm listing all of the blocks that we have in each of these areas and then showing you how to unblock them so that you can move yourself forward because the subconscious is so incredibly powerful. And if you believe you you can't, then guess what? You're right. If you believe you can, guess what? You're right. It's really about those belief systems. And we have so many beliefs around health that are wrong. We have beliefs around money and wealth that are wrong. Like we just said, you know, there's a belief that says you can't be rich and happy. Um, And then many people have beliefs that rich people are horrible, greedy, nasty people. I don't want to be one of those people. And therefore, that keeps the wealth away from me. And these very strong ingrained beliefs around health, like the doctor will fix you go see the doctor, the doctor will fix you. And the doctor's a human being and they have limited time, five to 10 minutes per patient. And they don't know how you live your life, what you eat, how you live, if you're stressed out of your brains, if you live a very sedentary life with no movement. And, you know, when I did the health chapter in the book, um, I covered three areas uh, because it isn't a book about health. It's a book about empowerment, empowering you into your best life. And I cover in the first part all the different areas of power, spiritual power, personal power. Um, you know, there's so many different parts until we step into our power. Then in terms of I deserve it, I'm allowed it, I can have it. And then the second part, which is reset, that's the let's change this thinking. And then the third part, receive. Now you can step into the life you actually want and that you can have it. But this chapter on health was just three areas. I talk about your diet, what you eat, and I talk about the stress levels. (laughs) My brain's just gone blank. What was the third area? Um, Oh, movement, motion, Um, because many of us live sedentary lives. And I describe the health um, a little bit like a car. Um, I said, you know, your body is your vehicle to get you through life. And if your car was breaking down, you wouldn't be able to get very far. And if you park your car up for months on end and then get in it and expect it to go well, you'll find that it won't because the car has many bits of different fluids that have got stagnant and, and stuck and the fluid isn't flowing. And a car needs water to stop it overheating and it needs oil to keep all those moving parts going and it needs fuel the right fuel. And I describe about if you've ever tried to put diesel in a petrol engine or petrol in a diesel engine, you'll very quickly find it doesn't go. And, it, you know, the engine will seize and we need a mechanic to flush it out. And I use these analogies to say your body's exactly the same. So, you know, we live this sedentary life where many of us sit behind computers all day. Um, and then we go from the computer desk to the couch and we're not moving. So like everything's seizing up and the fuel, we're putting the wrong fuel in our body. 
And so just like the car engine and putting diesel in petrol, everything starts to go katonk. And, you know, we, we don't take the, the car to, to a mechanic. We don't we take the, the body to the doctor and say, fix me, give me a pill, but then continue the life exactly the way you've been living it. So, you know, kind of explain all of this of how, to, you know, and give people suggestions. And it's not you're doing it all wrong. You've got to correct it. It's pure suggestions that this may help your health this may help your mental health and your stress levels and this may help you feel better and I say in that and I always say to other people you do you I do me I can tell you what worked for me and I can tell you what's worked for others but there's no way I'm going to say to you you have to do this or you must do this or you shouldn't do it and that's one of the things that I have found with the carnivore as a spiritual person, a spiritual motivator, a spiritual teacher. Many people in my community are vegans and vegetarians. And actually, when our podcast that we did for my channel went live on Sunday, I lost 100 uh, subscribers overnight. And I had, and that's not unusual. That happened before in 2020 when I put the videos up Um as when I went keto carnivore, I recorded, I think there was about six videos of my journey. And there's photographs of me before and after. And it's not just that I look fat, I look really unhealthy because I was. And then I look healthy when it's finished. Um, but I put these videos up about it and I lost hundreds and hundreds of subscribers saying, you know, you're a spiritual person. How can you kill and eat those animals? I'm disgusted. I'm unsubscribing. And I'm okay with that. Um, but this judgment that we have, um, as, which is a little ironic with a spiritual community, which is all about remove the judgment, allow people to do them and allow people to be themselves. But I understand that um, those are some people's attitudes. And I just kind of think, OK, then bye bye. Um, and I delete the negative comments because I choose not to have them all over my channel. But I understand some people don't understand it don't accept it and judge it very, very harshly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a shame, isn't it? When people can't accept that, you know, you're actually improving your life and you're getting healthy and so on. But, um, well, I hope I didn't lose you too many subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's my choice. You know, I, 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 when I decided I'm going to do a couple of podcasts uh, and the podcast that I do also go on my YouTube channel. Mm. And I know that there will be people in my community on my tribe, my followers that kind of say, Oh, I didn't know that about you. I'm off. And, yeah that's okay it's mm. uh, it's allowed it's it's okay yeah. so i knew that would happen and i i choose mm. to do that because there's also many people that have commented i was just like you i was fine until the menopause and then just like mm. you it all went downhill and i'm now keto or carnivore or ketovore mm. and my health is back and so yeah. you know yeah, I mean, we do see that certainly things can be perfectly fine and then, you know, fall off a cliff. Of course, you referenced uh, my podcast episode with James uh, and his amazing story of vegetarian turned vegan turned carnivore. And he, you know, exactly the same. He was fine for a long time and then just he wasn't, basically. Yeah. Animal-based yeah. nutrition was was his savior there. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you touched on there, of course, people's beliefs. And uh, I think this is really important. And, and you did mention earlier, of course, uh, something along the lines of, uh, you know, people... Uh, shouldn't be needing to kind of go to the doctor uh, to to be told, you know, kind of what to do and so forth. And I was thinking, um, you know, yeah, like I've often said on on this podcast and to my friends and family and patients, you know, if I'm out of a job, I'm happy because I mean, I'll find something else to do. <laughs> you know, I'll just I'll just play with my kids or something, be a stay at home dad. Um, you know, but I'm happy because that means everyone's cured. 
and there's no sick people anymore and that would make me extremely happy but we'll probably never get to that point but it's sad i was seeing a, a patient today and i realized that you know we we kind of as patients we just we externalize our control so much we give up this control to the doctors we um we disempower ourselves as patients and as doctors we disempower our patients the public you know by telling them well you just need you need this thing that only i can give you you know and i don't think doctors do it intentionally no but it's just it's just the system the way that the system's grown up for hundreds of years certainly the last couple of decades anyway um and it's disempowered and disenfranchised people to be in charge of their own health and i think a large part of it is this kind of well there's always a pill and i, think and I don't so many really things. have to yeah take control and, and because you know like you know i saw a patient earlier and they had impaired glucose tolerance and, and that was two years ago and they've probably got diabetes now but they just never kind of really came back because the doctor just did i think just didn't stress to them enough the importance and the patient's probably just thinking well you know the doctor says it's all right yeah you know yeah. and they're so disenfranchised they're so disempowered to make their own decisions and say no this is actually not okay because i don't want just the pill down the line i actually want you know to be healthy so i think a, a large part you said obviously your book you did a small part of it on health i mean i would actually perhaps disagree i haven't read your book but um maybe i should read it it sounds very good but uh, i mean i think everything that you're talking about it's all health it is. It's absolutely yeah. all health, and it's all yeah. very, very relevant to health. I did the health chapter, and I, I, I remember saying in the health chapter, I'm doing this after I've done the chapters on boundaries, commitments, responsibilities, because until those things are in place, you will be stressed out of your brains, and you will be eating the wrong food to comfort eat. You will be, because most of these issues are created from a life that's out of balance, a life that's disempowered, where you feel helpless and trapped and stuck. You know, I've, I've committed to that, and I must do that. Um, and this need for approval that we have, and we all have it. And I, so I wrote all those, it's in the research section, I wrote those sections first, and then did the health one almost last it's like when you fix those other things then you can come to it i remember as a hypnotherapist many people would come to me because of issues with over consumption of alcohol or smoking or you know the food sugars and things like that and in the first two or three sessions i wouldn't even touch on those actual topics um i remember one chap saying to me you know i came here because i'm drinking too much and we're on our third session and we haven't actually discussed alcohol and i said no because alcohol is your crutch and if your leg was broken i would not take away your crutch that's just cruel um, you are drinking because your life is out of balance and so if we fix the life that's out of balance nine times out of ten we find that the drinking fixes itself because it's not the cause it's the symptom i want to look at the cause and we'll do some work on the cause and then if there's still an issue with alcohol at the end of it then we'll deal with the alcohol so and that's absolutely 
accurate and in my experience. And I think, you know, I'm not suggesting for a moment that everybody with health problems, it's down to their lifestyle or diet. Obviously, there are illnesses, there are illnesses. What I am saying is that I believe there is a lot of people whose health issues are down to lifestyle, are down to life choices and are down to choices of what they eat and drink and that no pill is going to fix that. You're just, t- you know, it's been medicalized. I, when I was in uni and I did my dissertation for my degree, I did it on medicalization. Um, you know, you go to the doctors, I'm depressed and they give you a pill and it's saying, well, are you depressed because you hate your job? Are you depressed because you're living in a really toxic relationship? And actually, if you change your job and got divorced, you'd be right as rain. Many of us are depressed because we feel helpless and hopeless and trapped and we don't know to fix it. So we've medicalized it when actually it's a life issue, not health issue. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, 90 probably percent of what I see as a GP is, yeah, really life issues and not even lifestyle issues, just life issues. And it's just really grinding people down and they don't know how to escape. And so they turn to then things like alcohol, the stress goes up, their their eating goes up, you know, they turn to sugary addictive foods and so on, because at least it's something either they can control or it's something that makes them at least feel good, even temporarily. They'll, they'll just take it, you know, basically. And I have a similar approach to yourself, actually. And this is why I was keen to talk to you, because I know you, you know, you, you're coming in from it from a different angle, but I think we're both, you know, really trying to get the same result and, and really approach it in a similar way, even though it's a different angle, different perspective. You know, I say the same thing with alcohol. I say to people, well, look, you know, if you're, if you come in blind drunk, like fine, there's an immediate problem, but otherwise, yeah. okay, you're drinking 50, 60, 70 units a week. That's excessive. We need to fix that. But we don't need to fix it immediately, right now. Why are you drinking this much? The why. The why. The why. why. <laughs> is this so important? Yeah. And that, I think, is something that we miss yeah. so often in medicine, especially. And it's always this disease treatment, disease treatment. And there's there's no kind of, you know, disc, this, there's just this disconnect of, but yeah. why do we have this disease? Why do we have this problem in the first place? address the root cause and then the downstream effects will most likely yeah. improve like when said, i suddenly so, started yeah. wanting sugar i'd never wanted sugar before mm. my first question is why why do i yeah. suddenly have a sweet tooth mm. and what has changed in the last six months that that this has happened so i questioned i interrogate myself but in a very gentle compassionate way but trying to be very truthful and and vulnerable. Why am I suddenly wanting desserts when I've never wanted them before? What has changed since that happened? So I question myself and the answer is your period stopped, which means you've got a hormonal change. So what can I do to fix that? Is there anything? And I, just like everybody else, went into the, oh, well, it is the way it is. I'm getting older. You know, menopause is one of those things. You're going to get hot flushes. You're going to have these hormonal changes. Nothing you can do about it. It'll pass. And I lived like that for a little while. And then I thought, hang on a minute. What would I say to a client? I need to bring that back to myself. Why is this happening? So, yeah, that's sort of what led me down the keto rabbit hole and the carnivore rabbit hole. Mm. Look at the why. The why is so important. How how do you find kind of ketovore carnivore now uh, with with kind of you know post menopause because I do see uh, quite a lot of postmenopausal women as patients uh, and some of them are doing fantastically on carnivore others are, are maybe not doing quite so well now I 
believe I know why, and I can touch on that. But I'm wondering how 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 you're going, whether you've had any issues, because there's probably people out there thinking, well, I'm in the same position, but I, should I do it? Are there going to be issues and, and so on? Well, the, the, I think there were so many gains that I did not want to come away from it. So, you know, I mean, I, I hadn't had a decent night's sleep in three years because of the hot flushes, which completely went, absolutely completely went within a month of carnival. Well, actually a month of keto. They went within a month of keto. Um, my hot flushes went within, I think, I mean, I'm going back nearly three years and trying to remember, but I, I think it was within the first three weeks that they stopped it. It was like a switch, switched off. The sugar craving switch switched off in two days. Um, the hot flushes switched off within two or three weeks um, and it continued to get better and better. And I thought, okay, you know, we say the menopause is, you know, purely down to hormones. But for me, I found, and I've heard other people say this too, as soon as you remove the carbs, the hot flushes go. Um I certainly had insulin resistance. I had non-alcoholic fatty liver. I definitely had a low thyroid, all of which were fixed over the next four months. So I lived that way solidly for the next two and a half years. I very rarely had carbs. Probably after about a year, I thought I can afford to have the odd bit of carbs if I want some rice, um, you know, some potato and again if I want to. But I definitely found I felt really yucky fairly quickly. Um, but after two and a half years of sort of coming up to Christmas, uh, the last Christmas in December, um, I just thought, you know, I just need a break. I just need a break. I've done this. I've been really good <laughs> for two and a half years. My body is thanking me. Um, I fat adapted. We're all good to go. And I'm going to have more carbs. So up until I would say the first six months, I was 100% clean, no carbs. And then the next um, year and a half, I would have carbs maybe once a week. So a small amount, but we're not talking stupid, still less than 50 grams of carbs a day. Um, and then December and January, I decided I'm having a break. And I start, allowed myself some chocolates this Christmas. I allowed myself some desserts. And oh my God, it is you know, I suppose what alcohol is to an alcoholic. It, the the cravings were back. Um, the overheating came back. The skin issues came back. The skin tags started coming back all within four or five weeks um, because I put my body out of balance. And I'd heard from, and I believed and worked this way very many years, most of my life, the 80-20 rule, 80% of the time eat clean. And then you can allow yourself 20% of the time not to eat clean. Now, I was probably 95.5 for those two and a half years. And then I allowed it to be 50-50. And that balance went out very, very quickly, very quickly. So um, after six weeks or so, the symptoms were back, the tiredness started coming back. And I went, no, 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 no. My body's saying, all right, you're taking the mick now. That's enough. Get back on. So I went back onto carnivore, full-blown carnivore. Um, for three weeks and then I allowed myself some veg or salad sort of maybe one day after two or three weeks I have a little bit um, but I'm I'm back kind of doing carnival my body's coming back into balance yeah I mean fantastic I mean I think uh, certainly some of the people that I've seen that are struggling with uh, with menopause with carnival um, I don't think it's carnival that they're struggling with I think it's just menopause they're struggling with but um, I think a big reason why some people struggle, and I've seen some people, you know, with like libidos just tanking and so on, people talk about it, is I think it's to do with uh, sex hormone binding globulin, um, which is by the time this episode comes out, I'll have done my kind of, you know, ribeye challenge video. But uh, um, that I noticed that my SHBG had gone up 
actually just eating the ribeyes. And everyone on my YouTube channel is kind of trying to guess what my mysterious ingredient is that I was lacking uh, on my ribeye only. And uh, it was boron, uh, which is really interesting. Uh, what boron is boron? Is, boron is a, is a mineral uh, in, in soil. We don't hear about it very much, um, otherwise known as borax or bor boric acid. You may know borax. And uh, boron has some evidence that it can actually in, uh, increase your hormone levels, your sex hormone levels. Uh, mainly testosterone, but I'm sure it you know can do the same as well uh, with estrogen, progesterone, and so on, uh, by reducing the sex hormone binding globulin, which takes out the active, you know, kind of binds those those sex hormones. Um, and I noticed I was starting to crave food which was very rich in in or richer in boron because I was craving liver, fruit, dairy, and I was thinking, what is the link here? What is going on? Why is my libido starting to go down a tiny bit? Why am I feeling tired now after two weeks of just ribeyes? I knew I was deficient in something, but what was I deficient in? I worked out it was boron that may be the link. Went and took some boron tablets that I had in the house, and then the next day I felt absolutely perfect again. Wow. Uh, which was amazing. I never would have thought of boron. <laughs> and nobody on my channel has managed to guess it. They'll, they'll know by the time this one comes out. Um, but yeah, I believe people out there, if they're struggling on carnivore, you know, especially post-menopause or if HRT is not working, you know, get, get your doctor to check your sex hormone binding globulin, because I mean, I saw a patient recently where it's literally off the charts and HRT is just not working for her. Testosterone wasn't working, you know, normal HRT wasn't working, carnivore is not working. And yeah, SHBG is just sky high. So everything that they're giving her, it's just basically kind of just being sucked out. Yeah. And it's just not not working. So if there's anyone out there that is struggling, you know, menopause and carnivore, definitely get your SHBG checked by by your doctor. Um, a slight tangent there, but uh, I want to bring it back a little bit because you mentioned a few times that you decided on carnivore that you wanted to kind of go back into eating some vegetables. Was that because you felt you needed them or because of this just kind of 60 or, you know, 59, sorry, I don't want to call you 60 yet, of, uh, of, of, of kind of, you know, you must eat your veg or was it something like fiber that you were worried about? Was it your doctor it was telling intuitive. you? What was it? Yeah, it wasn't intuitive. It was boredom. I was bored um, that <laughs> it is a limiting diet. It's a, you know, that you just, um, I'd been for six weeks, my diet was um, steak, sausages, bacon, eggs, um, some shellfish and some fish, um, lots and lots of eggs. And, um, you know, when you've had that day in, day out, every day, um, and some people see food as fuel and they've got no real interest in it. They just eat, eat the food to give them the fuel. I like food. And um, it was six weeks on carnivore and I was having my typical bacon, eggs, two sausages. And I looked at the plate and I thought I would so love a tomato and some mushrooms to go with this, which is more of a traditional fry up. And um, I, I let that go for a couple of days, but the, the little head was saying, you know, nagging me away. So I did bring in, I grilled a tomato and a couple of mushrooms and I reacted very badly. And I thought that's really interesting. And then I thought, well, to be fair, I've had no plant life for six weeks. So I, I probably need to do it more gently. And then I watched some videos about how to reintroduce it. And they were saying probiotics, prebiotics, which I find make me really ill. Um, I can't seem to tolerate them. But I, I realized that with the tomato, if I took the skin off and it was cooked, I could digest it. But if I ate tomatoes raw, I couldn't digest them. 
um, that the mushrooms, um, actually the reason all the thrush has gone was because I'm not eating fungal stuff. You know, if you've got fungal infections, why are you eating fungus? And it's kind of my head said, well, that's logical. That makes sense. So um, I found that I was okay with some salad. It was really about interest. I wanted a little bit more different textures in my mouth, different flavors in my mouth. Um, so I allowed myself that for the first week or so. And then I found I didn't really want them um, because I didn't feel actually they were doing anything. They weren't adding anything um, other than a bit more color on the plate you know uh, and I always used to as a hypnotherapist try to train people on eat a rainbow diet because you don't need to know all the different vitamins and minerals just know if it's a different color it's got a different mineral or vitamin then something else is a different color including with your meats and your fish you've got red meat and pink meat and white meat and they contain different nutrients and the same with the fish you know you've got red salmon and pink salmon and white cod and if if it's different color it's giving you something so in order to get the range of vitamins and minerals and i'm not a doctor and i'm not a nutritionist but to me it makes absolute sense and intuitively this is what i feel eat lots of colors and on carnival for six weeks it had been predominantly steak and pork and eggs so there was a few colors there um but um yeah, I just I wanted something yellow, like a bit of sweet corn or uh, some beetroot or some um, something green. Um, and I do seem to be absolutely fine with beetroot. Uh, my body likes it, but only now and again. It kind of will say to me, let's have a bit of that now. So there's obviously something in it. My body's saying I need that um, and I'll listen to it. But I have to be careful with vegetables. They don't like me. We're yeah, I mean, not friends. <laughs> no, a lot of people struggle with vegetables. Interestingly, fruit, as you said, is generally seems to be okay. And I guess this comes back to intuitive eating. We were talking about kids, of course. Yeah. Um, and you can argue that fruit is going to be probably less toxic, given that the majority of fruit, you know, there are still toxic fruits like cassava melons and so on. But, um, you know, the majority of fruit essentially kind of wants to be eaten. It's designed to be eaten for the most part. And so you can argue that's probably going to be less toxic anyway than vegetables, which by and large don't want to be eaten because if they're eaten they're dying and the whole point of life is not to die you know to reproduce and survive not to get eaten by human beings um i'm wondering what uh you know like your your doctor maybe in the uk has said uh, about about your diet and and so on do they know that you're kind of doing this this keto carnivore uh, and what's their what's their opinion on it oh they don't like it <laughs> I know when um, I'd had a biopsy on my skin rashes that I'd had on and off for 13 years because they first of all thought it was a fungal infection. It looked a little bit like ringworm on my upper arm and um, the fungal cream didn't touch it. So then they thought it was an infection. So they tried antibiotic cream. Nothing worked. In the end, they did a biopsy, came back with, um, ah, we know what it is, some long name, which I don't recall. Um, and they said, no known cause, no known cure. They come and go. They're not contagious, live with it. Within a month of being um, low carb, they're gone. And I'd had them on and off for 13 years. They're completely gone. 
um, and lots of my other symptoms had gone. And I actually wrote to my doctor, I wrote to my GP, and I listed um, 23 symptoms, half of which I had been on various prescription medications for, and said, now gone, now gone, now gone, against each of these symptoms. And when I said about the skin rash, I said, no known cause, no known cure. There absolutely is a cause. It's called sugar and carbs. The cure is take away the sugar and carbs. Um, same with the um, the fungal, the, the thrush, that all gone. The same with all of the plaque on my teeth. I had lots of plaque I, I go for a clean and polish every three months and I had said to my dentist why I why do I get so much plaque and well some people just have a lot of acid in their mouth and it just creates a lot more plaque it's just one of those things just have more regular clean and polishes when I went back the next time she said what have you been doing to your to your teeth there's hardly any plaque you know uh, so yeah there are but I was in the doctors for something recently nothing serious um to do with my ears and um they did a blood test and said oh oh and looked all concerned not a blood test a urine can i have a urine sample um and i gave her a urine sample and it was about 11 o'clock in the morning and she put it under the stick and she said oh 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 you you what and i said what what's the matter and she said uh, have you eaten today and i said no, it's 11 o'clock. I don't eat until the afternoon generally. And she said, you're in ketosis. I said, oh, because I live a ketosis life. You know, I live the keto way. Um, and she sort of went, oh. And then more recently, I joined a gym, and I, um, which I'm not normally somebody who does a gym. <laughs> um, but I joined a gym, and I had a sort of an assessment and then a program created for me. And um, they said, you know, make sure you eat plenty of carbs before you come into the gym. And these are, you know, the this is the, the fitness people who, who do your program. And I said, I don't eat carbs. And they said, well, you can't work out without carbs. And I said, absolutely, you can. Um, I had three different people in the gym uh, that work there, you know, that are part of they'll, uh, you know, assess you and show you how to use the equipment all absolutely horrified that I don't eat carbs. They they were disgusted. And my mother's the worst one. She's 85, to be fair. And she she is your typical standard diet. She eats, I worked out, she's nine times a day, nine times a day. Um, she eats every two hours and every single meal includes carbs and gluten and wheat and my God, the, the gas that woman has is horrific, but hey, oh, you know, um, but she, that's her life. That's her world. She's not overweight. She's actually pretty strong for 85. And, you know, she, she gives me absolute hell that I don't eat carbs. And um, yeah, I said to her, mum, the thing is, you know, you're okay with that. It works for you. It doesn't work for me. And we need to understand that my stomach is different to your stomach. And uh, we, we haven't been taught that individuality. We've been taught everybody should eat this and everybody should not eat that. Well, we need to realize that we've got different digestive systems, different enzymes, different levels, different this and that. And what works for you doesn't necessarily work for me. And I think I, I had my first trouble with my stomach when I was pregnant at, at 18 on my first child and um, I had terrible constipation and then as a result of that and the pregnancy terrible hemorrhoids and the more I had suffered the more they gave me fiber and the worse I got and the more they gave me fiber and the worse I got because back then in 81 
that um, it was all evidence was there, the fibre helps constipation. And I'm sure it did for the people that they tested. And so they therefore came up with this conclusion that everybody will benefit from fibre. And it's not true. When I feel into it, I kind of feel that maybe 80% of people benefit from fibre. I fall into the 20% who don't because that part of my digestion had continued. I had an operation when I was 27 for hemorrhoids. They still came back. Um, I've always struggled with it. But interestingly, within three months of carnivore, it had gone. Yeah. It's amazing, um, isn't it? And and we yeah. tell everyone that fiber is so important. And, yeah. and actually, there's good studies. I know Dr. Bart K, uh, Professor Bart K, talks about uh, fiber a lot on his channel. Uh, if you've seen him, I'm sure you probably have. And I haven't uh, seen that one. Oh then. no, it's a very uh, it's very good. Uh, and he talks about you know these studies with idiopathic constipation, so we don't really know what the cause was. And these big studies, and basically the only thing that made it better was taking out the fiber. Yeah. You know, fiber made it worse. The more yeah. fiber they gave them, the more constipated they got. And, uh, and I've spoken before on this channel about, you know, my analogy between a bowl of wheat bix or Weetabix if you're in England and, uh, and butter and, and wheat bix is your fiber and butter is your fat in the analogy. And the air, which is basically what your colon's doing is just drying out the fiber, drying out the wheat bix and it just goes rock hard. Yeah. And you just need to keep piling more and more and more wheat bix in. So it just overflows. Yeah. Yeah. and pushes it out, 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 pushes it out of your bottom. Whereas the fat just stays soft. You know, body temperature and it just stays soft and it's just small, easy to go, you know, to the toilet. Um, and of course, we talk about fiber. I know you want to talk a little bit about that, um, you know, and, and it's broken down into butyrate, which is very helpful for the colonocytes, the enterocytes, the colon cells. But then when we're in ketosis, we're producing, you know, BHB, beta hydroxybutyrate in absolute bucket loads, way more than we're getting from digesting fiber. So again, you know, there isn't really that much evidence that fiber is actually good for us. And in fact, there is evidence it can cause things like diverticulosis, which I know some people refer to as bowel failure. You know, these outpouchings of the bowel wall, but we, we've we just normalized this thing. Oh, it just happens as you get older, yeah. you know? But we don't, we don't normalize heart failure. Oh, it's just your heart's just getting bigger and, and getting weak. You know, who cares? It doesn't matter. It's just something that happens as you get older. You know, go and have a higher blood pressure because that's fine. Yet we've normalized fiber, even though it causes this condition, which we know can put people in hospital, they can get infected, they can get perforations. We know these things can happen. Yet we've just normalized, you know, this thing that says, yeah, we need to eat, eat fiber. But often, I mean, like yourself, I mean, I've got histories of IBS. They're never officially diagnosed, but very clearly had IBS. And I've done videos on this already before. Um, and mine just, mine's just literally one day disappeared. You know, every patient I've put onto carnivore that I've spoken about it, they've wanted to go on it, disappeared, IBS gone, almost instantly. And they just come back in and say, my God, <laughs> like, is this, is, what, is this what it's like? Like not needing the toilet 24 seven? Like, it's just, it's just a miracle cure for them. It really is. Um, I'm interested, uh, I guess maybe your, your rash was maybe something like granuloma annulare, maybe. I don't know what you, what it was exactly, uh but, um. I you can't, can't recall the name, no, no. It, oh, but it would, fine, it's yeah. only upper body. It would come up to the upper yeah. arms and the upper chest, and it looks, it, it would just come into, a, 
in fact, I've I've got one back here that started mm. coming from that six weeks of having the sugar. It's now fading away yeah. again. It's mm, going okay, away. But um, it's clearly a reaction. Yeah. You know, that- maybe something like Grover's disease or something. I mean, who knows? But uh, I won't I won't ask you to take your clothes off to diagnose it. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, isn't that interesting that then obviously we say people there's no cure for these things yet you obviously found a cure. What did your doctor say to that then? This letter that you sent him with or sent her with this twenty three kind of I had no acknowledgement like... and no reply <laughs> at probably all. went straight in the shredder <laughs> and i didn't go back to the doctor for two years and i used yeah. to be in the doctor quite regularly um and mm. repeat prescriptions um one of the strongest criticisms i put in that letter and again not judging the doctor the doctor didn't know but i said you know you you've given me um um indigestion relief for 15 years on prescription which i pay for and um you know it's it's nine pounds a prescription and Mm. um you know it adds up and um i watched one of these videos i don't know which one of the keto carnivore exports it was but Mm. they were saying look you know very often indigestion is because you don't have enough acid now Mm. i've been trained the doctor you know the acid hurts in my stomach so clearly it makes sense that you've got too much acid and it's burning Mm. so they give you antacids to take the acid level Mm. down and that's what i've been on for years and i knew i couldn't eat things that create a lot of acid spicy food gave me a lot of pain Mm. anything that was very rich gave me a lot of pain um taken and taken antacid and i lived on rennie's and i lived on the uh, prescription stuff and i watched this video i don't know which one of them it was whether it was ken berry or eric berg or um Mm. but they were saying you know low acid and bring in apple Mm. cider vinegar and then if that's not enough there are stronger things you can bring in Mm. so Initially, my head sort of was an immediate fear about acid hurts me. And then I thought, well, they've been right about everything else. So I'm going to give yeah. it a go. So I bought the apple cider vinegar, started mm. taking it. Within two days, I kid you not, two days, my indigestion yeah. had gone. Yeah, and it's, it's funny, it was incredible, it? absolutely it's- incredible. It's funny. And we it's tell a fiver it's, uh, a bottle. Yeah. I always tell people it's too much acid. I mean, in my my bottle here, you know, I've got a water and apple cider vinegar with a bit of pink Himalayan salt, and that's my kind of electrolyte, homemade electrolyte drink. Um, you know, sometimes I put a tiny bit of cream and tartar in there for a bit of potassium as well, but not not very often. Uh, do I need that? But yeah, I mean, sometimes occasionally like, there's one certain brand of bacon for whatever reason that gives me gives me heartburn. I don't know why. But then I just have a little bit of apple cider vinegar and it just it goes away. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and I, for many, many years, I mean, I would take medications for heartburn, reflux, you know, for many years. And of course, I would tell people exactly the same thing. It's an excess of stomach acid. We need to not lock down the antiacid, you know, get the antiacids on you, not knock them down. Uh, and that'll be, that'll be fine. And yeah, actually then often we tell people, yeah, actually, you know, just maybe try some apple cider vinegar and it actually goes away. So it's clearly not a lack of, of acid. No. You know, and you mentioned a few times, of course, my podcast, James was saying that he, you know, was taking beta and HCL to actually increase his stomach acid because he just didn't have enough. Um, I found previously my zinc levels and iron levels were very low, uh, were low on carnivore. And it was actually because I was diluting my stomach acid with water around mealtimes. So that's the thing. The acid is actually there for a reason. Yeah. And we're yeah. we're interfering with these things, and uh, that's that's a shame. But I mean, it's a real shame that your GP didn't kind of really acknowledge that. And uh, 
you know, I don't blame them because they probably didn't even have time to read the letter, to be fair, in England. I mean, I remember what it was like back in England as a GP. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back. But also it was the timing. You know, this was in the height of COVID. And so yeah. I went um, into this keto carnivore in May, May the 4th, 2020. You know, we were six weeks into lockdown here in mm. the UK. Um, and by September, I was back. I'd lost 50, 60 pounds. Uh, my health wow. was back. Everything. Wow. My my figure was back. I mean, I was concerned about the weight. You know, as a hypnotherapist, helping people with weight and seeing myself getting fatter and fatter mm. every year, and kind of oh, um, and obviously those sugar cravings kicking in didn't help mm. that. But it wasn't just that. It it was just my metabolic whole yeah. kind of metabolic rate just went skewed. Mm. Um, and by the September, I was back. Um, I dropped two dress sizes in four months. And mm. people say, oh, it's unhealthy to drop weight too quickly. And literally to go from 14 stone to 10 stone in four months, a stone a month, you know, 14 mm. pounds a month mm. is classed as fast, rapid weight loss mm. and probably very unhealthy. I looked fabulous by September. Mm. I sent you some um, before I've and after photographs, you know, but yeah. I also went blonde at that time, which isn't my <laughs> natural colour. I thought, oh, new me, let's have a new look. Yeah. That lasted about a year and now I'm back <laughs> in my dark hair again. Um, but yeah, the other thing that, that happened was um, the inflammation that I had in my body, which I didn't know was inflammation. Nobody ever mm. told me it was inflammation. Um, but I I had what I now realize is kind of lymphedema, like lots and lots of fluid, my legs, my ankles oh, swelling okay, up, yeah. very, very painful. Um, and the reason I had all this so-called arthritis was actually the inflammation in and around the joints. Yep. And when I lost all of the water, all the arthritis went, I mean, it, mm. there were days where I couldn't um, the pain in my fingers. I mean, I type and stuff on mm. the computer, but all of that went within about 10 days. Um, but what didn't go six months on was um, I got rid of most of the inflammation, but I still had water retention around my ankles. Even mm. though I'm a healthy weight, I'm full kind of ketovore carnivore kind of thing so i went to see a naturopath after six months and he ran bloods and he asked me if i could get a copy of the bloods my previous doctor had you know a proper gp as opposed to a mm. naturopath had run so he could compare them and um i went in because i said you know i feel fantastic i think i fixed everything except for the water retention i mm. do still have this it's definitely worse when i eat carbs and my body is like a little sponge absorbing from those um the carbs the water stays but i haven't had carbs for six months but i've still got water retention around the ankles mm. so he suggested that i get a rebounder which i was that a little mini trampoline and don't jump up and down on it just literally sort of push your ankles into it it'll act like a pump to push mm. that water up so i bought the rebounder uh, 50 quid from amazon and got on that two mm. or three times a day for five minutes and it all went away so oh, sometimes wow. we need a little bit of extra help you know yes. so um you can figure out you know have you fixed everything are there still some bits left what can you mm. do about that and then work with it mm. yeah absolutely i mean i think yeah just to bring it back a little bit it's amazing that you that you found you know cures for these 23 kind of conditions some <laughs> of which you were told basically had no cure uh, i was reminded of this today actually i saw i saw two patients actually back to back General practice is funny like that. You don't see things for ages, and then it's like it's like the London buses. You know, you wait, you wait an hour, and then three of them come along all at the same time. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but uh, English people will, will, will understand that joke. Uh, <laughs> yeah. To be fair, it's the same here in Australia. I'm sure it's the same everywhere. Um, you know, I was talking to patients about precordial catch syndrome. Uh, I don't know if you know what precordial catch no, syndrome is. It's is. not a very common, well, it's actually a very common condition, but not a lot of people know what it is. And I know what it is because I, I have it myself, or at least I had it. And it's a condition where you get uh, chest pain. And it's very often around the heart, usually just underneath the kind of left nipple area, but it can be almost anywhere. And it really feels like it's it's your heart. It feels like it's your heart that's actually in pain. So people come in saying, you know, I've really got chest pain and it, and it really hurts and it's right here. And it, and it really can hurt. It's very sharp pain. Um, sometimes it's like a dull ache. Sometimes it's just like a sharp pain. And it usually lasts for maybe a couple of minutes. But all the tests are always fine. Yeah, nothing, your chest x-ray is fine, your ECGs are fine, your blood tests are all fine. Nothing ever found. And so very often people just go, you know, doctor to doctor to doctor. They keep coming repeatedly back with this chest pain, nothing ever found. Uh, and then just eventually get told, oh, it's just anxiety, you know, go, kind of go away. And some people just accept that, fine, well, I'm not anxious, but fine, whatever. There's, it's not killing me, it's fine. I mean, I was about, you know, 10 years later and I was like, well, I haven't died. It's probably not my heart, but still don't know what it actually is. Eventually, I learned it was this thing called precordial catch syndrome. Um, but I saw these two patients back to back, both of them, you know, metabolic syndrome, highly inflamed, you know, all the, the usual kind of stuff. And they came in with this with this problem, both of them back to back, not related, didn't know each other. And, and I said to both of them, I printed this thing out for them. I said, look, I think, you know, you've got precordial catch syndrome. And I said, look, read this. I'm not going to tell you about it, but read this. Tell me if you think this is you. Uh, and they read it and they go, yeah, this is exactly me. This is literally what I have. What's what's the cure? You know, and I said, well, medically, conventionally, there is no cure. And we don't know what causes it. But we know it's real, but we don't know what causes it. And you can see their kind of faces just go, oh, really? Yeah. There's no cure? I said, well, conventional medicine, there's no cure. But I have it and I got rid of it. And they go, oh. How did you get rid of it? Because I had it for 20 years. It was a daily occurrence, you know, three, four times a day, this terrible chest pain. And I noticed when I went low carb, it got about 90% better. When I went keto, it got maybe like 95% better. When I did fasting, it got a little bit better again. And then when I went carnivore, disappeared completely. Wow. So even like intermittent fasting keto, was a lot better but it was still a daily occurrence it wasn't like 20 times a day anymore it was maybe once and short-lived but it was still there but on carnivore six months i haven't had a single episode which wow. is just incredible and these conditions where there is there's no cure technically no cure yet we're curing them with with carnivore which is absolutely amazing to me and it's just it's such a shame that you know doctors are not willing to listen yeah. It, you know, it really, really is. Um, well, the difference in my bloods between the bloods the doctor had run in the April with the, the bloods that I had run again the following January with the naturopath were huge. They were mm. huge. She said, you know, your vitamin D level at your age, I'd be proud to have, and I'm 27. You know, mm. you've got a fantastic, what are you doing? And I said, I take a supplement, vitamin D3 with K2. I take mm -hmm. that. Um, I take magnesium. Uh, with zinc and um, I live carnivore keto that's the way I mm. live and that's basically all I take and mm. um, the odd electrolyte I make sure I've got plenty of good quality salt um, 
And, you know, I couldn't have uh, HRT because there's a contraindication for me. I, uh, mm. The pill nearly killed me, ended up in intensive care. So they were oh, saying, gosh. you know, when, you, um, when you're when you older and you go through the menopause, you can't have HRT. Oh, so, you know, you're going to yeah. have to just suffer, get on with it. Uh, so that wasn't ever a thing. But, yeah, the, the blood showed that my thyroid had been on the floor. And that mm. was why I was so tired and obviously not helping with the weight because, mm. you know, when the thyroid's low, you know, you you've got those issues um so it, it was all normal it was all fine interestingly except for my protein levels even though i've been carnivore predominantly 90 percent carnivore 10 percent keto mm. for six months my protein levels were really low and he mm. said to me even though you're eating a lot of protein your body isn't absorbing it mm. so I had to do a little bit more work to try and correct that and that's now okay um but i in going back to the intuitive eating keto what i didn't like is actually quite strict in its ratios of the macros you know have mm. this amount of protein and have this amount of fat and have this amount of veg um and i was doing that and and then i was doing carnival which was basically all protein um and my body kept saying to me more 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 protein i need more protein so mm. i was ramping up I, I did a little bit of research about what the higher protein foods because i always think steak is the best protein but actually mm. it's about 24 grams of carb of, of protein in a steak but there's about 42 in things like some of the fish and, and stuff yeah, like that, that. so i was yeah. the tuna and the, although tuna's full of mercury but i thought right i'll have some tuna yeah. and i'll have some salmon and you know i was just trying to bring in more and more mm. protein um, but it took my body about um, a year to regulate the protein. It just wasn't mm. absorbing. It was going straight through me. Whether that's because I don't have a gallbladder, so I'd eat more and more and more protein, and perhaps mm. most of it was just going straight through me and out the other side. But um, I wasn't. I, I did find it difficult to absorb protein. Um, I bought one of those um, smart scales. That when I get on the scale, it doesn't just tell me the weight, but through mm. the app, it'll tell me my water levels and protein levels and mm. subcutaneous fat, visceral fat. And it was saying my visceral fat now is 7%, which is fine. That's really good. And, you know, um, all of my rates are now pretty good. But the protein was in the just low area. Mm. And I'm like, I live on steak and eggs and fish and cheese. Why is my protein so low? Mm. Um, but I had to just keep working with it. And eventually it fixed itself it's come up we now, get there yeah. in the end you know yeah and it comes back to intuitive eating again and you know trying to listen to your body and just i think kind of or certainly in keto i think does to a certain extent as well give give you those kind of signals back and and relearning those it can be difficult for some people though it does take time to actually understand what those signals actually actually mean um yeah. i think what you said about keto though and, and and struggling there with the macros and the kind of the ratios and so on i know a lot of people do struggle with that um, and low carb as well i know i've personally spoke about my my struggles with low carb and keto and the sugar addiction and the the loophole i'm the loophole guy you know that finds the loophole how much can i eat today um <laughs> but with carnivore i mean i honestly just call it food freedom and yes it's a narrow diet but um i don't have those sugar addictions anymore. i think they're still there in the background i'm sure if i open a box of tim tams they'd all be demolished but um you sometimes you don't get in, a, in in the uk but oh tim tams are all gorgeous <laughs> um, but <laughs> um i mean it's the australian chocolate biscuits but um you know i'm sure if i open a box of kit kats or something you know that they'll all, all be gone you know as well um but i just don't 
I just don't have that craving for those anymore. I can walk past them now and I don't have to worry about the macros or the calories or, you know, how much can I eat? It's just, yeah, if I'm hungry, I eat. If I'm not hungry, I don't. If I feel I need more protein, I eat more protein. If I need more fat, I eat more fat. I open the fridge. What's for dinner? Don't know. What do you want stomach? Tell me what you want, you know? And, yeah. and I just work with my stomach and my eyes, my nose, my mouth, and to work out what to eat and how much, which is, which is really freedom actually for me, which is really very, very nice. Um, I'm conscious of time because we've been speaking for about an hour and a half now, Julian. It's been really great talking to you. Um, was there anything else that we haven't touched upon? I know we've spoken about your book, of course, um, and uh, we spoke about fiber and uh, some other things you wanted to talk about there, the inflammation and so on. Was there anything else that you wanted to discuss that we haven't spoken about so far? Um, no, I think we've covered everything. It'd be um, wonderful if people wanted to pop over to my YouTube channel and my new podcast. Uh, my podcast came out in January. Um, so it's new, but it's growing. And uh, it's it's a spiritual podcast, but not just that, mind, body and soul. So um, I've done a couple of episodes on the body and health and keto carnivore, as we know. Um, the episode I did last week, which will be out by the time this comes out, was more around the mind on happiness, um, because happiness is a state of mind rather than a state of being um, and explaining how we can be happier and then sort of back to more um, intuitive type things. Mm -hmm. So people might find that interesting. They might not. That uh, You'll find oh, that. I've uh, yeah, no, I think they. I think some of my listeners, some of my viewers, would probably find that very interesting. Of course, I know I've been on your podcast, and thank you for inviting me on. And I'll put a link to that episode in the description. Uh, and that was a great, you know, conversation with you at that point. Of course, um, so maybe if you can, yeah, tell tell the the viewers and the listeners all about your podcast uh, and where to find it, how to find your YouTube channel, and I'll put all the links in the description, of course. But and also, you know, where to find your book and so on as well, which sounds very good as well. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, yeah, so my book is called From Hoping to Having, and it's available Amazon worldwide. And it's on ebook, paperback, hardbook, and audio version. The Audible, uh, which you can also get on iTunes and um, all sorts anyway. So that's where you'll find my book. I'm on um, YouTube as Julie Poole under my own name. And my podcast, I've just recently renamed the same as the book from hoping to having, because wherever you are in your world of what you hope to have, I, I try to, through intuitive life coaching and what I know, share with you knowledge that moves you from the hoping to the having in every area of your life, mind, body and soul, physically, mentally, spiritually. And lots of the people that follow me are not particularly into spiritual stuff. And the book is not um, as well, it says there's a big thing that you don't have to be spiritual to read this book, you know, take the bits that resonate, leave the rest. Um, and so that's where you can find me. So thank you for um, letting me promote that a little bit, because the feedback from the book has been incredible. And that's why I wrote it. I want to help people to live a better life, to find a way out from that job they hate, or that boss that treats them terribly, or that partnership that is just toxic, to help them find a way out of health issues and mental health issues and to live a life that you truly do deserve to live. So that's what my work is all about. And thank you that's for it. having me. No, you're very welcome. I mean, the book certainly sounds great. I'll have to see if I can pick up a copy as well. And uh, certainly your podcast, uh, you know, sounds great as well. So hopefully people will 
will tune into that. Um, thank you very much, Julie, for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today and hearing your amazing story and your transition from business corporate through to the spiritual and uh, life coaching and your personal health journey, of course, through low carb keto and carnivore and forwards and backwards and your finding your own journey there. So that's been great having your expertise and experience on today's show. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you guys for tuning into this episode of the Meet Medic podcast. Uh, thank you everyone for listening and uh, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you for this. Li thank you for listening to this episode of the Meet Medic podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help to spread the word that how, how we can improve mental and physical health through diet and nutrition. If you are interested in improving your own... Okay, let's just re-record that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meet Medic Podcast. If you found this episode useful, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help out the channel to grow. If you have found this useful and you want to improve your physical and mental health further, please do check out my website, themeatmedic.com, where you can find all my eBooks are currently 50% off with the code 50 off. That's code 50 off, five zero off, O double F, for 50% off all eBooks. Take care. Thank you. See you in the next episode.